Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon and welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. Agza, Ghana, Yatanga, Yuwandi. We meet together here on Ghana land and the gallery invites us to acknowledge. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and those coming on. My name's Jill Swan. I'm one of the art gallery guides and the reason I'm here today speaking to you is because our team of curators are now on leave. Um, apart from volunteering at the gallery, I also volunteer at the Cedars, the home of Hans Heysen and his extraordinary artist daughter, Nora. And so my subject today are a number of the works on the wall behind me, the still life works of Nora Heysen. And seeing we're a small select group, I'm just wondering those of you who are sitting uh, in the back stalls might like to come forward uh, and join our friend here either on the, the lounge or perhaps some of the seats that are closer. Um, and some of us might move about um, as the half hour progresses as well. Some of you I know are probably quite familiar with Nora Heysen's story, perhaps others amongst you uh, might need uh, a review. Um, what I plan to do um, before I start talking about individual works is just to explore a little bit of Nora Heysen's early life, uh, her studies and her skill development as a young woman. Uh, and then we'll have a look at several of the works which she painted um, in the early 1930s when she was in her late teens. Then we'll move on to the latter part of her life very briefly um, and uh, the work Tomatoes which is behind me which signifies a, a quite distinctive change in her um, artistic style. So Nora Heysen was born in her parents' home um, in Billy Goat Lane in the rental cottage that they had there uh, on the 11th of January 1911. And I always think that writing that birth date throughout one's life would be, have, have been interesting. 11-1-11. And I'm sure numerologists could have a field day with that. When she was 18 months old, Nora's family moved to the lovely property that Hans Heysen purchased at the Cedars. And that was where Nora grew up. She um, allowed for her personal collection to come back to the Cedars following her death in 2003 and so the Nora Heysen Foundation was established. There are over 700 works by Nora Heysen at the Cedars. Most of them are drawings, some of them unstretched canvases, um, and I have catalogued them all over the last 12 years, so I've got to know Nora, I think, and her art reasonably well, but one is always learning, I have to say. When Nora was living at the Cedars, she was in the middle of a family of eight children. 
Sally Hyson had eight children in 13 years. And Nora and her siblings were allowed at times to lie on the floor of their father's studio and draw, and so I guess we can call that her first experiences with art. She did have, along with her siblings, um, an artist called Mary Overbury, who was one of the several tutors who engaged to homeschool the children. And so perhaps we could call that period her first formal studies. When she was 15, she had decided that she would like to become an artist. And her parents said, well, if you pass your intermediate certificate, I don't think I need to remind people what that was, um, if you pass it, we'll pay for you to go to art school. And so she studied hard, she passed her certificate, and her parents agreed that they would support her in her studies. So that began a new routine for Nora's life. She was living at the Cedars. She needed to travel by train every day down to the city to study and back home again in the afternoon. Before she left in the morning, she'd milk the cows. And her father told her that it would give her strong arms, which every artist needs. And she did actually comment in a later interview with somebody, I'm thankful to this day because I have an enormously strong right arm and even to paint does take a lot of physical energy to say nothing of carting around canvases and picture frames. So during her four years full-time study and then two more years part-time, um, her mother helped her to set up her own studio uh, in the oldest building at the Cedars uh, which had been used for lots of different purposes, including being her own father's studio for uh, about a year before his own purpose-built studio was completed. In her studies at the art school, she was mostly under the tutelage of Frederick Millard Gray, and it's there really where she began to formalise uh, her techniques, her anal analysis of objects into forms and volumes, uh, and developing the system that was the basis for her compositions. And this gave her early works a very formal, structured appearance. She found drawing from plaster casts was quite a trial, and back in those days, art students had to draw um, fragments of sculpture or plaster casts for two years before they were let loose on a live model. But Nora, of course, had lots of live models at home seven brothers and sisters and her parents from time to time. And so after she had finished her studies and milked the cows, she would often spend her leisure hours getting somebody to sit for her. Uh, and that included mostly her brother Michael, who was number seven in the group of eight. And uh, an overwhelming majority of the drawings, portraits of her siblings at the Cedars are of Michael. Her first works were publicly exhibited at the Royal Society next door in April 1928 when she was 17. And then in December 1933, she had a solo exhibition at the Royal Society. There were 62 works in that exhibition. 12 portraits, 30 still lifes, and 20 drawings. And I have a catalogue for that exhibition. It's a bit of a collector's item, but by all means, have a look at it. Uh, I'll pass it around 
and if you'd like to have a closer look at it afterwards, I can take it out. So with that little introduction, I thought perhaps we might look at the first um, still life that Nora exhibited. So if you're a bit far away, you can't quite see um, the fruit in the yellow bowl here next to me, perhaps you would like to come over and uh, either sit or stand a little closer. Nora was clearly influenced by her father's still life work and of course Hans Heysen was a preeminent still life artist uh, in the early part of his career. Uh, it's said he, he stepped away from still life work in the mid-1930s once Nora started um, producing and showing works like this. Um, there's a very grand still life uh, on the northern wall there, Autumn Fruits. We haven't seen it much in recent times because the governor had it in Government House and I believe at least two successive governors and their wives really loved having Hans Heysen's work uh, in the public rooms. But it's a very grand version, perhaps, um, of the piece on the wall up here on my right. Nora has taken a yellow comport-shaped bowl, it's still at the cedars on the kitchen dresser, and she's placed on top and around the base an interesting selection of fruits. I've been trying to decide what season it was, but of course they did grow their own apples and they did have a nice cool cellar to keep them in. We've got grapes there as well and prunes and plums. Perhaps there's a little bit of fudging, perhaps she did imagine a couple of those uh, species uh, just to help her with her colour composition. If you're over closer you can see it's quite a broad triangular uh, form and with the dried leaves at the top uh, forming the pinnacle of the triangle and then bringing it down to quite a broad base with the fruit scattered around the pediment of the bowl. She's used the colour very well to show us the warmer tones in the apples and plums and then through the purples uh, of the grapes and the prunes to the cooler uh, green touches of the apples. They break up the neutral spaces, the plain greyness of the tabletop uh, and that creamier pink that she's used in the wall as the background. I always like to look and find where the light source might be in each of her works. It's outside the frame and in this particular case I think high up on the right hand side. And a clear clue to that is that bold touch uh, in the pedestal of the bowl. There's quite a gleam there. And then if you look you can see the softer shadows behind some of the pieces of fruit uh, and the darker side uh, in the um, curves of the bowl. It is the first example perhaps in all of these of the bounty of the cedars. They had their own apple orchard, um, many many fruits and vegetables were growing in the garden. The cows gave them fresh milk and cream. Uh, I think the only thing they needed to source outside was their um, meat from their favourite German butcher. It's interesting to contrast these uh, still lifes that we're looking at uh, with those next door in Gallery 4 by Dorrit Black. Perhaps like to go and look at them later. 
Dorrit Black was a whole generation older than Nora Hyson, uh, also an Adelaide-born artist. And Dorrit, in the 1930s, was in Sydney, having spent time in France. And if you go next door to Gallery 4, you can see how she was painting her still lifes in a very much more modernist style at the same time as Nora was back here in Adelaide. I might move your focus along now to this piece here above the cabinet, which is spring flowers from the bush. Um, all of these works are oil on canvas, I might add. And you can see she's really not just brought the flowers in from the bush, but a tremendous amount of that bright spring sunshine. I might get the botanists and the bushwalkers amongst you and the hills dwellers to help me identify some of these flowers here. She rarely painted flowers beyond the cultivated garden. One of the other rare exceptions is um, the piece called The Flower Ship, uh, where she painted native plants in New Guinea when she had a short break from her war work in the 1940s. But here we're back in the Adelaide Hills and looking at a collection of blooms and grasses that she had picked perhaps on a walk across the acreage that surrounded the cedars. October, I would suggest. Back inside her studio, she set up this bunch. It would appear to be randomly arranged um, and more or less stuffed into um, the ceramic vase. So we have this combination of the um, elements of nature uh, surrounded by uh, those of the human world. The bulbous bars, the turned wooden base, and the two different textiles, which I'll come back to in a moment. So why would she not have painted wildflowers very often? Perhaps you've got native plants in your garden and you think they look glorious, the grevilleas, so you take them inside and within a day, they've drooped. So perhaps the garden flowers were more sustainable. They could sit there for a week or more and give her more time to paint them. However, look what we have here. I did spend quite a, a deal of time with the wildflower uh, book. I think right in the top right corner, um, we have something called the Australian Bluebell or Wallenbergia and tucked right in there, and I don't think too many could see it from where you are, I think there are some chocolate flowers, and I do remember picking them on, on our farm when I was a child. The lower left, we've got some yellow buttons, everlastings perhaps, and dotted throughout are the hills daisy, or fire daisy, the white ones with the yellow centres. Got any other ideas? No, Helen says no. Um, there's lots of um, flowers, I've called them white with five petals, perhaps sundew, and uh, then a good deal of what I might suggest uh, tea tree or leptospermum, and the blue pin cushions all over. The colours, of course, are very complementary, the blues against the golds and the sprinkling of white. But most interesting, perhaps, is the straw-coloured bell seed pods. And they're the interlopers. They're the resident aliens. 
They are in fact a Mediterranean plant, now described as an invasive weed, but perhaps you are familiar with them with their Chinese lantern or bell-shaped pods. But they serve Nora a good purpose because they add that element of gold along with the everlasting buttons um, in between the patterning of the whites and blues. As I said, the composition looks quite understated. They look randomly stuffed into the vase. But once again, she's carefully provided us with quite a large shape, the top half of the work, and all anchored in the slender shape of the vase uh, and its base. The wonderful differences in colour and shape and texture of the flowers um, is contrasted with two very distinctive geometric patterns, um, the black-grey checkered cloth, uh, which appears in other works by Nora, and behind it, the grid of the um, pattern of a, a very filmy curtain. And I think it's the same curtain that appears in the background of her father's portrait of Sally sewing, which I'm sure you're familiar with. All right, let's turn our attention from wildflowers and the freedom of the outdoors um, to cut flowers from perhaps the Cedars Garden. I'm going to walk down further uh, past uh, the monumental Mystic Morn painted by Hans Heisen. This particular work has been mentioned a number of times in the press in recent years. It has a very specific connection with the wonderful Diana Ramsey. You might have noticed the Ramsey bequest is, is again in the newspaper this morning. Diana Ramsey would relate a story, first to Nick Mitsovich and others, about her particular connection with Nora Heysen's scabious. Apparently, when Diana was young, eight years old or thereabouts, she came with her father through the art gallery on the way to the Botanic Gardens. And she had a very clear memory of looking at this particular painting by the young Nora Heysen and being quite smitten by it. And, uh, and so we can, she said that it began her long, lifelong interest in art and, of course, led to all of the wonderful patronage uh, of James and Diana Ramsey. But back to Nora Heysen, scabious, a cottage garden flower. Perhaps some of you are familiar with them. Um, and here Nora, I think, has clearly um, considered the work behind me in the corner. And this is Henry Fantin Latour's painting of poppies. There is a similarity in the composition and the setting up of the blooms. We've also got her father's painting of poppies up above. But back to Nora's scabious, painted in 1930, and uh, was one of the pieces in um, the exhibition in 1933. She's gathered together the pinks, 
the lavenders, blues and the creamy whites. But when you look more closely at the blooms, you can see that she selected them in different stages of their development. The buds, the partly opened blooms, the fully opened and some that have dropped their petals. Not unlike the poppies of Fantan Latour behind me. Once again, she's got a triangular composition with a very strong wide vertical from the uh, broad shape of the um, jug uh, right up in a column through the flowers and also a very broad horizontal where she's placed the vase or the jug um, on a mantelpiece or perhaps the top shelf of a bookcase. And we have a distinct sense of looking directly at the vase of flowers. The two cut blooms as yet to go into the arrangement lying across the foreground. Again, we can see is a device used by Fantan Latour. To me, the flowers are almost like a multi-generational family if you look at them. These little portraits are all from different angles. Some of them are full face, some of them are three-quarter profile, some of them are full profile, uh, and there they sit for us to admire. Again, she's bringing the light in from the upper right, and this time, as she did with the yellow bowl, she's put this quite distinctive glint on the centre facet uh, of the cut glass jug. She's played with patterns too, more diagonals, uh, in the cut um, glass on the lower part of the jug. So I wonder what this, why this was so appealing to an eight-year-old girl. The pastel colours. Soft, girly colours. All right, very sweet. It is a quiet celebration of life at the Cedars. This lovely vase of flowers have come in from the garden on this day to sit there for everyone to admire and perhaps reflect upon. Anyone else like to make a comment on that? All right. So having looked at flowers, let's come to something much more mundane. Um, Gallery guides are not supposed to have favourite works, but I have to say, of all the pieces hanging of Nora's here at the moment, um, this piece with the cabbage is my favourite. And sitting next to Hans Heysen's pumpkins, this seems to be a continuation of creating that sense of uh, uh, work and produce in the kitchen. It's in landscape format, which is a little different from the others that we've been looking at. The pumpkin sits there quite regularly. It's almost like the star or diva on a stage with the chorus of the onions and the eggs scattered around. It has such a mundane title, Still Life Dash Cabbage. Perhaps some of us could think of a better title for this. It looks as if it too has just come in from the garden. The eggs are fresh from the hens, the onions perhaps they've been hung up for a while, 
all of them placed on a piece of newspaper and a knife at hand, ready for business. I can think of putting onions and cabbages together. I can even think of eggs and onions together. But how would those three go together in one dish? I'll let you think on that. The newspaper there, it is going to perform a very practical role in wrapping up the scraps, I should think. But of course, it's hinting to us of the deeper uh, side of life at the Cedars. The newspaper obtained and read every day for its current events, news from overseas, or the gossip in the art world and the streets of Adelaide. So once again, Nora's given us a triangular composition with the cabbage absolutely dominating it. And then the onions and the eggs in their rough line across the base. She's enhanced that by that practical wooden topped table which is still in the kitchen at the Cedars and bearing uh, the marks of all the industry uh, in that particular room. Imagine preparing food for eight, 10, 12, 20 sometimes people in the household and it all happened there in the kitchen. Nora has given us a wonderful range of colour in that red cabbage and she's used the light effectively so that we can see the, the shine, the polish almost, on the centre leaves of the cabbage. And then she's dusted the outer leaves with the bloom, that filmy grey, to give us the sense of that other kind of surface. The onion skins are papery thin, just like the onions in her father's work to the left. And then we have almost luminous, the soft, delicate shells of the eggs. And she did do a masterpiece uh, just focusing on eggs uh, at about this time. Lots of different kinds of brushwork, of course, to produce these, these particular items. But you might like to go up closer later and look at the fineness, the absolute fineness of the painting of the edge of the newspaper and uh, the skins of the onions, for example. She's worked very well, too, on the corner of the room, which we might just um, dismiss normally. But so much tonal work there from the more illuminated corner in the top left right down to that darker corner uh, towards um, the right. So we get a real sense of depth in that room and it's interesting to contrast the way in which she chose to paint that still life with the one that came about six or so years later which is in the other far corner. I'm just going to move over this way. I did have some other things to show you, to hand around. One of them is a reproduction of a Fantin Latour still life and also George Lambert's cauliflower. Again, uh, influences on Nora um, in her still life work. I might just add that the Fantan Latour work of the White Poppies was purchased for the gallery in 1906. And so, of course, it would have been a piece that her father, Hans, and Nora herself would have looked at many times uh, during their visits to the gallery. 
Now, in um, 1934, after this wonderful sellout exhibition that Nora had, uh, she had the funds to go and study in London. And so her parents and sisters travelled with her. They had a holiday for about six months uh, in uh, England and Europe. And then Nora uh, found her studio flat uh, and the family went home. She studied in London for about three years from 1934 to 1937 and uh, she attended um, the recognised schools in London. She also formed uh, a friendship with a woman called Oroveda Pizarro who happened to be the daughter of Lucian Pizarro, uh, that uh, section of the family lived in London and of course the granddaughter of Camille Pizarro. I'm just going to do a little side journey because at one time in her studio flat, Nora Hyson actually had works by the three members of the Pizarro family. If you haven't read Kathy Speck's book, which is the edited letters between Hans Hyson and Nora Hyson, I would heartily recommend it because you get the real voice of the two artists as they wrote to each other. And in, I'm just going to read a little bit, which uh, was in a letter from Duke's Lane in London on the 26th of February, 1937. Dearest mother and daddy, Miss Pizarro just rang to say, would I like a loan of the Camille Pizarro's peasant woman and the Lucian Pizarro's Loristinus while they are away in France for three months? They are insured, of course. I jumped at the project. Now, good night with my love to everyone. Love, Norrie. And Norrie was her nickname in the family. A couple of days later, she wrote again. Dearest mother and daddy, it has been an eventful week. First, the arrival of the pictures. It was a thrill to see them on the walls and they both look splendid. The Lucien Pizarro has the big wall to itself over my divan. The Camille Pizarro hangs over the mantelpiece and the Oroveda by the wireless. Grandfather, father and daughter, all represented. How would that be for a young Australian artist in London? The Lucian Pizarro has a lovely atmosphere and feeling and there is a beauty and vibrancy in the way the paint is handled, being clear and crisp and yet having quality. I'm sure it would be a very popular picture if our Adelaide gallery could afford the 157 pounds or guineas. I don't remember which. I'd like to see it there, and the gallery really should have a few examples of post-impressionists. My love to all, Nori. Well, what happened? Her father, Hans, of course, was on the gallery board at the time. His friend, Louis McCubbin, was in London, and the Pizarro came back to Adelaide. And you can go round the corner to Gallery 15 and see Lucien Pizarro's Campania Oroveda, the Loristinus, hanging in our gallery today. Now, Oroveda was quite an influence on Nora when she was in London. She would often um, quite critically appraise Nora's work. And this was all to the good, because when Nora came back to Australia, she stayed only for a short time at the Cedars, knew that she needed to see something else of the artistic world in Australia, and she went to live in Sydney. At the end of 1938, 
she submitted two portraits to the Archibald Prize. And one of them, in January 1939, won the award. It was slightly controversial. The first woman to win the Archibald Prize, Max Meldrum, the great Australian artist, even wrote that he thought women should be involved uh, in the matters of the home and not be after winning portraiture awards. Later that year, 1939, Nora painted this work here, which is the last one I will speak about, Tomatoes. And you might like later to compare this work with the cabbage at the other end of the room. Here we can see Nora has changed her style, her technique. She's much more modernist in her approach. Once again, though, she's decided to focus on the humble pleasures of her garden, no doubt tomatoes that she has grown herself. They are not the perfect specimens, of course. We even have one with um, back e black end rot, I think, in the centre. They're all crinkly imperfections rather than perfect tomatoes. Just spread about on the dish and sitting there on a chair or stool. She's painted these items right on the picture plane. The dish appears to be tipped up. We're eyeing the tomatoes at very close range. There isn't much depth to the room. Um, she's shut, uh, cut off the background with that sharp uh, diagonal uh, where the floor meets the skirting board. She's also contrasted the curves of the bowl and the um, cloth or, or tea towel uh, across the straight lines and patterning of the caned chair. Carefully chosen her colours again. We have the red vermilions uh, with the cooler um, greens of the tomatoes. And then this added detail of the uh, underglaze painting of the swat owl dish. Now this belongs to the Nora Heisen collection at the Cedars. I've handled it myself on a number of occasions. And at the moment it's actually sitting here on loan to the gallery. But it's not on display. I did want to see if I could get it out today, but our installation and registration staff are also on leave. So you just have to come up to the Cedars sometime and look at that particular dish that belonged to Nora Heisen. So the lovely blues and whites are the contrast to the reds and greens of the tomatoes. The light is, is different, I think, from the others that we've looked at. There seems to be light everywhere. Uh, there is a little gleam on different parts of the tomatoes that might suggest uh, there is a sunny window somewhere near at hand. But this different treatment, of course, um, is the way that Nora continued uh, right up until her last oil painting, Apples on a Chair, uh, which is at the Cedars uh, in 1995. Now, just before I finish, um, there are two items from Nora Heisen's collection in this wonderful cabinet display, and they are the little jugs here uh, in the foreground on the upper shelf. 
These are two little items. We don't know where she bought them, possibly in London. Um, they date from the late 1880s and were made by an Italian ceramicist, um, Farina, who had come from Italy but was working in London at the time. And they've been placed there in the company of those other turn-of-the-century pieces, um, chiefly by Gladys Rennell and others. So um, just before I finish, um, Nora did quite a lot of portraits, as you know, and she continued with commission portraits in the latter part of her life as she lived in Sydney. Um, her very uh, important early portrait of Ruth is next door in Gallery 4. And earlier this year, my daughter looked out of her window in her office at King William Street across the road and she could see through the cracks in the buildings on the side of a new building, a street artist painting a remarkable appropriation of the portrait of Ruth. I'm going to hand round the photograph I rushed, rushed down to take of the work when it was in progress. I'm not sure what Nora Hyson would think of one of her paintings being on the side of, a, of a, an apartment building just off King William Street, but there it is. There's also a wonderful photograph, which I'm sure you've seen before, of Nora standing here in the gallery, um, very likely in this gallery space, on her last visit to, this, to uh, Adelaide in 2003. She's standing about here, hand on hip, in front of her father's work, not in front of her own. She always said, my father never taught me, but I learned everything I knew from him. So I'd like to finish there, but I would love to have people comment either now or perhaps later uh, about any of these works or what you recall or know about Nora Hyson. So thanks for coming in on Christmas Eve. I hope you feel you have uh, looked at some wonderful gifts from different donors and the gifts of Nora Hyson. Thank you. <laughs>